Better People Power. And now, here's your host, Phil Croshaw. Okay, so very warm welcome to today's podcast. And my name's Phil Croshaw from Geeky Group, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Susan Lee. And I'm not going to introduce Susan Lee. Susan Lee is going to introduce Susan Lee. So, Susan, tell us all about yourself and what it is you do. Well, hi, Bill. Welcome and very much for the invitation for coming here today. I'm a counsellor and a hypnotherapist. I've been doing it a very long time. And over the years, my practice has evolved and grown, fortunately, as as hopefully these things do when you're invested and enjoying what you're doing. And so I now do a lot of stress management. I actually specialise in abuse but I do an awful lot of stress management. I work with one-on-ones. I do relationship counselling. I do a lot of corporate work where I go and help um, businesses. I mean, there's an awful lot of stress management and keeping an eye on what's going on in businesses because how we function at work is very much reliant on the other areas of our lives. And so what we do is we're looking at helping people feel fully rounded, feel invested in what they're doing. And you get better staff engagement when you do that because people care about their job, they care about their lives. You have a happy employee, you're going to get a really good commitment, dedication and customer service out of them. So the whole thing, the whole package is really, really interconnected and that's what I thrive on helping people with. Yeah, absolutely. And all, obviously also very much very relevant nowadays. Do you find actually that in the corporate sector there's more they're more open to the idea of the what I used to call the warm and fluffy stuff? Because in business, you know, it's a, quite often at a board level, it's about the profit and loss and it's about the Excel spreadsheet and it's about where we're at with the share price, etc. Has there been a, more of a move towards understanding the importance of well-being and managing stress in the workplace perhaps over the last few years than there was before that? Very much so, because it does affect the bottom line. I mean, I know that Recent research shows that last year, £40 billion was lost to UK businesses due to stress and sleep-related issues. You know, when you've got 360 physical symptoms of stress, it's going to impact on people's well-being, on their performance, on the accident quotient of your offices, you know, how good or bad humoured they are when they're dealing with issues and problems. So it does very much impact on the bottom line. And so on on very multi-levels, it's important to take care of your staff because if you've got a good, well-trained member of staff whose performance suddenly drops, do you let them walk away because they're stressed out or they've had enough or they don't care or they're unhappy and they can't perform anymore? Or do you actually think, heck... This person's great. Their performance was always good. They're having a bad time at home or they've got an aged relative they're bothered about or the kid is sick or something. Do we support them throughout this or do we let them walk away and start from scratch in recruiting and trying to find somebody new? And so the whole thing, I mean, the whole thing is interweaving, interconnected. And so I think on a pragmatic, practical level, but also on a human level, employers are starting to realise that it is 
an investment in their staff and if they have play areas or they let people go home a little bit early or they have well-being days or they take time to train the management to spot staff uh, who are stressed in the next level down it's a big investment in their business and everybody's happy and people feel i've had clients who've left a really well-paid job to go and take a ten thousand twenty thousand pound reduction in their wages because they're going somewhere where they get better support better appreciation these things matter we don't just turn up at work and say right yo i'm here let me do my job oh it's finished now i'm off now People, you want people who care and are bothered about the business because it's a very competitive world out there. You've got to have a good team behind you to, to succeed in business. That's interesting. And I always think that there's plenty of people able to and looking for work and looking for jobs. But I think, and I'm interested to get your view on this, I actually think there's a shortage of talent. And there's plenty of people, as I say, looking for work and can do a job, but I think there's a shortage of talent. Um, it's almost, dare I use the term, like almost like the X factor, you know, the breadth and depths of somebody's capabilities. I've got a corporate background before I went out on my own, and I certainly had certain people that I could rely on who I could give more work to, who were creative, for example, who didn't clock watch, who put lots of effort in and found ways forward and problems solved really well. Other people, less so. Um, so on that basis, therefore, then, if, 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 if you agree, and we'll see if you do agree, but if you agree that talent, there's a bit of a shortage of talent, then keeping hold of that talent is obviously then critical. Um, and I, I did see a statistic yesterday that something like 51% of people will think, seriously think about leaving a company in the first year. And it's usually down to some of the things we're talking about now, as opposed to the fact they didn't get a 1% pay increase. So I've gone on a bit there, but what's your perspective on that? I think there's a huge difference between talent and education and qualifications. So I, I think what we're talking about here is talent. My husband always used to say talent, you're, you're born with a certain level of talent, but up to a certain level, you can be educated in it. And so you need to have people who are um, enthusiastic about what they do. So if somebody cares, it doesn't matter. And they're enthusiastic. It doesn't matter whether they have a degree or not. And I think this is where places like the University Academy 92, I'm a huge fan of that place. Their, their degree courses, that is brand new university, liaises with all the degrees awarded by the University of Lancaster, which was the University of the Year last year. Their degree courses are linked in with corporate. So they have alliances with Microsoft, with um, various of the big players in the city like Pricewaterhouse Accountants, all these people, leisure centres, uh, the Leisure Trust, all sorts of places are taking training within that degree setup that's running six-week modules. And then there's no exams, but if you are nurturing your talent, they leave with um, an education that has been supported by the people who they're potentially going to be working with. So, you know, the, the, the course is a, is a quality, a university quality course, but at the same time, they're being trained by the people. They're up to speed with today's technology. They're up to speed with the latest innovations. And they're leaving that university with, with a degree that is relevant and viable today. That's not always the case with um, education. People can have a degree in some weird and wacky subject 
and then be looking for a job completely different and they need to start from scratch with their training, with their education, with their skills and competencies. So what happens is that you may have taken on a new member of staff, often apart from anything else, they need to be trained in your company ethos. So it's not just culture stuff. Absolutely. So they can come with, they may have come from another company that's really fantastic and you admire and respect that company, but they walk through your door. They have to learn all your normalities and your routines and what's important to you and what your terms and practices are, all that kind of thing. So you have to start from scratch anyway with a new employee to get them up to speed with what they are required to do and do well for you to help your business thrive. So, It is, yes, there's a certain amount of talent, but you don't necessarily want talent without direction. And so the whole thing about having those come together is about having relevant education, having viable skill sets. And that can often come from almost starting as an intern or apprentice or whatever it might be and bringing people on board and then helping them develop over time. So just going slightly aside for a second there, um, what do you think then about the education system? And it's, it's obviously it's your opinion, but um, your, your view of the education system and to what degree it's fit for purpose in the modern age? Because there is a lot of debate that says that the education system is pretty similar in, in it, at its core than it, it was in 1963 or whatever. The world has changed beyond belief, even in the last 10 years, never mind, you know, it's internet and all that kind of thing, which has made massive, massive changes. Um, and it sometimes does strike me that maybe, and I look at my kids and what they're taught at school, even to the point whereby I sometimes think on the basis that every single one of us pretty much now has got a smartphone in our hand, and I'm holding up my smartphone, um, and so therefore fact are always pretty much at your fingertips. So if I want to know um, the Battle of Hastings, what year was it and who fought in it, I can have it on, on Google in probably 10 seconds. I think it was Einstein who said, I don't need to keep everything in my head. I just need to know where to go to get it. Yes, exactly. So we so, don't we don't need to have memorised, you know, the history thing or the thesaurus. Exactly. And yet here we are at school doing tests, do you remember what happened in 1066 and what was the fight? Now, I know it's broader than that, and any teachers listening to this will probably have a view on it. Um, but is that something you think is a needs to update? And is it possible to keep it up to date with the pace of change and then the slow nature of, of, of things in the public sector, which is not known for its speedy Gonzales um, approach to things? What, what's your thoughts? I think that these days there seems to be an awful lot of emphasis on sending young people to university for degrees. And and I don't necessarily ascribe to that. I think that I know personally I passed more exams since I left school than I ever did when I was there, primarily because the courses that I've taken and the exams that I'm interested in doing are things I've chosen and and are career or therapeutic. I'm a therapist, so they're all linking in with that kind of thing. And they're relevant. And I think, you know, just demonstrating that you can pass a exam or or a degree thing doesn't necessarily make you, yes, you've got a good memory, yes, you perhaps can research and all that kind of thing, but it doesn't necessarily make you fit for purpose for what might be needed in a modern world. And, you know, going back to my point before about things like social media, 
if you if you leave with a media studies degree from many universities, actually the day you walk out that door, a lot of your information is out of date now. <laughs> yes, that's Where, true, isn't whereas it? Whereas yeah. if you because technology is changing, you know, I mean, I think they're up to yeah. twelve on smartphones at the minute. We are only up to six or seven here. Yeah, you know, and they're already developing number twelve, thirteen. Yeah. So yeah. so kind of there's a there's an almost what's the point? And I know it might be a contentious comment. But if you turn education on its head, which is, again, I'm not being paid by the University 92, but if, if you look at places like that, the, this academy, which is a university degree course, they have actually... What happened there was the five footballers sat down. This is set up by the five United footballers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sat down and they said, what do you think is important for your child or for a child today to actually know about? And they got the, a, a metaphorical cigarette packet, wrote... 10 points down and number 11 that they added afterwards was social media skills and awareness and all the points that they listed only one of them was academic based so they their their philosophy about education which will i think become a revolutionary and very much mandated approach across the world i mean you know states and italy are looking at it at the minute but the whole thing about that approach is saying let's educate our children but let's educate them so that what they do links in with what employers, businesses, corporate, the future of the world needs. And let's educate them in proper skills, not necessarily. I mean, there's a, there's a role for ancient Greek and English literature and things like that and history. I, I appreciate that. But not every, not the high percentage of it's how much of it really the, yeah, the need to. Too many, yeah. And we don't yeah. need. So so having people who are up to date aware and relevant and trained in skills that they can go out and link in with a business and, and offer value and do something they want and are, are enthusiastic about. That's where you get your talent pool from. And that's where that comes from, to answer that original question. Yeah, yeah. No, so I think it's really, really interesting. Now, you've been obviously involved in therapy and counselling for many years. And one of the things that intrigues me is how much you've seen it change in the last 10, 20 years, the levels of stress. Um, is it significant? Because the perception would be that everybody's more frazzled now. Do you think they are more frazzled now? Or is it just that we know more about it because of social media and and and, and media and such like and debates going on about it? Um, and if there is more of it, what do you think the key causes of there being more of it are? The changes I've seen are very much to do with people's perception. I mean, I know when we, my husband and I trained, he set the practice up something like 25, 30 years ago. And when we first trained, it was hypnotherapy and counselling. People used to take a step back. I mean, it was a very wacky thing to choose to do way back in the day, you know, and people would go, my goodness, are you going to make me stand on one foot? <laughs> Lie on the couch. And, yes, Lie on and the all, couch. That, all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And, and, and scary and surreal and unknown. And, and nonetheless, the practice started and it's thrived and grown over the years. But nowadays, if I say uh, 10 years ago, people used to know somebody who'd been to stop smoking or perhaps lose a bit of weight these days when I say what I do, people say, oh, how interesting, my next-door neighbour or my sister or my brother. So it's a lot more mainstream and we are taking on board um, that ownership of our own problems mm. and doing something about it. Mm. I do think life is at a faster pace. I do think we are um, more mindful, and I use that word in the general sense, more mindful of what's going on around us. I do think we... 
you know, there's all sorts of things like uh, social media, phones, technology. We are much more in touch with things. We're much more aware of what's going on in the world. We're very much more aware of what's expected of us. So the whole thing about what, how we measure ourselves and the pressure we put ourselves under and the pressure to go to university and do things more, um, you know, do better than our parents did. We all wanted to do better than our parents 10, 20 years ago. But I think... You can't keep on and on and on and on pushing for that. And I think what's happened is that we are all more aspirational. You know, I mean, I remember my mum saying for a wedding present, she got two tea towels. These days we're expecting fridge freezers and a home in the Here's my list for Harrods if you want to buy as a present. (laughs) So I I think acquisitive and aspirational and pushing and all that, I think that's escalated. And I think... I think our revolution now that's happening around us right now is where people are becoming a bit more grounded again and and actually starting to notice what's important. So, yes, we went through that whole acquisitive buy now, pay later, which came in with the credit cards in the, was it, 70s? You know, people changed their view on what they wanted and what they expected to have and wanted, and I was going to have it now. But I think nowadays people are saying, actually, you know what, I don't need to keep on buying clothes or shopping for shoes or going out for fancy this that and the other and having the top end car actually what's really important is I'll let that top end car go and spend an extra half a day a week with the kids or with my partner or going for a walk or taking up a painting class and I think people are starting to be uh, a lot more appreciative and bringing it back down to what really matters in life. And that's partly noticing the impact it's having on our health and our well-being, on, you know, and the instances of perhaps as we're seeing people perhaps become unwell and actually think actually health is wealth. It's not just about having the biggest, bestest house. And, you know, the people I've had at my couch, who've had six homes in different countries around the world and they're sat crying on my couch because their quality of life is deficient. Yes. Fascinating, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. And you get your, your values recalibrated when you stop and think about what's important and, and do I really need all of this? Or actually, an yeah, afternoon yeah. with a, a picnic yeah. with the kids in the forest is actually better than yeah. going somewhere 50, 60, 70 pound ahead yeah. for dinner, you know? I mean, I, I can relate to that personally just because I, I was in the corporate sector and I was always looking for the next promotion, the bigger car, all the usual blah, 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 blah. And I got to um, 40. I know I don't look it. But I got to... <laughs> I got to... You can say that on an audio podcast because yeah, nobody can judge you. <laughs> um, and I got to 40 and I just remember thinking, is this it? It was all politics... Um, I wasn't satisfied. I felt like my creativity was being strangled, straight jacket and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, I've got all that I wanted. I've got the career I wanted. And is this it? And I'm pretty sure, having mentioned that to a few people, that's that's not that uncommon. So do you see this then translating into the workplace in terms of people looking for different things? Say, Say, for example, they're looking to change jobs. Are they looking for... Um, a company that's more has more CSR activity, corporate social responsibility. Does it have more around flexible working? Working from home's okay, you know, is is acceptable? Is that now more um, attractive than just an extra few percent salary? I would say generally yes. I think it depends on the individual circumstance. Mm. 
So if you're saying it's really important that I send my kids to private school and it's really important that I show to my friends and colleagues that I can afford expensive holidays on private jets and things or whatever, you know, speaking exaggeratedly. But (laughs) are all these things really important? So we have to balance between what we demonstrate, our own advertising board, if you like. We have to demonstrate what we can do because... You know, again, if I turned up at the front door and answered in flip-flops and jeans, people might think, my God, is she a professional therapist? So we do have to sometimes manage um, the, the, the the public image of ourselves, if you like, to prove that our business is solid and good and dependable and reliable. There, there is that sort of image that we have to portray that is important on the one hand. But on the other hand, it is about getting our own investment in that as the right and correct and what suits me best of all. You know, so I think there's a balance. Everybody still wants to thrive and be successful and pay for those things and have enough money, enough satisfaction coming in. But enough money and enough job satisfaction aren't necessarily the same thing. It's weighing that up and saying, is there a trade-off? What is that trade-off? Am I prepared to make it? What do I do with this? You know. Yeah, and, and also maybe earning enough money to take four holidays a year to recover from from the job. Was, which, when I you think about ludicrous. it, is hilarious, yeah. isn't it? When you think about you it, we sat for three hours at the airport each end, you know, and then <laughs> hassling over your your luggage coming through, and everybody always wonders, have I really, really not? Have I packed? Is it safe, you know, my case, you know, if I really got some drugs in there or something I shouldn't have, you know, is it, yeah. is it worth it? But at the end yeah. of the day, it, it it's balance. And I think the whole thing comes down to balance. And It does. Yeah. Now, you were talking to me earlier before we came on air, um, which kind of threw me a little bit. And I thought it was really interesting about um, how you're coming across more and more people now who are fear of going home. Yeah. I mean, what's that? Fear of F-O-G-H, a new one, rather than FOMO, fear of missing out. We've got, a, we've it's got interesting, isn't fear it? of going home. And I've, I've never thought about that before. To talk me through where, where you're coming from on that. Well, I, I think, you know, as you say that, it is, there'll be people listening who think, is that really a thing? I can't believe that's really a thing. <laughs> there are people out there who don't want to go home. But just stop and think about that for a second, because if home is an unhappy place, if it's chaotic, you know, if you've got the place as a tip or you've got rowdy kids, uh, your partner doesn't particularly like you anymore, you don't want to be there, you're going home and you're stressed out. That's one angle that could be off-putting about going home. The other thing, of course, is the work itself that you're doing. If you're really, really busy or if you are bit fear of missing out you know if you're thinking oh my goodness if I go home what's going to happen there will my work be checked over inadvertently found wanting in some way you know will I be found to be the imposter syndrome thing will I be found to be a fraud that can be another thing and people sometimes are very nervous about actually letting work go through I've had clients who double triple quadruple check any work that they have because they're scared to death that somebody's going to come along and go, look at this gaping hole in what you've done. Look at this glaring error. Or did you not think about such a thing? So they constantly check and... Well, Ma- massively in- inefficient, isn't it? Well, it's inefficient, but you but they're doing it based on a sort of genuine premise that I want to be super efficient. And it, it's almost like a contradiction. It, it, it yeah. is, yeah. And of course, we keep hearing in the news about productivity being poor here. Mm-hmm. And... That, there's a link to what you've just said to productivity 
I would imagine, because if yeah. you're checking things three times, your productivity overall may not be as high because you've spent an hour doing something instead of 20 minutes. I mean, I know I'm sort of probably simplifying it. but Yeah, and there is also, I mean, I, I had a, I, again, I have had a client with this particular thing and I said, would, you know, are you the final port of check-in? Are you the final port of call with any work that goes through? He said, oh, no, 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 there's other people after me who will be checking it. So I said, if, if, if a slight mistake went through, because I know you're really competent, so if a slight mistake got through, would it? be the end of the world he said oh no no there'd be somebody after me who'd find it so i said so stop it then just let it go you know because it but people are sometimes so very nervous about losing their job or getting censored or found inadequate or wanting in some way and so they just keep on you know there can be that temptation to say oh imposter syndrome you know i better check it i'm not really good enough and it's, it's a confidence thing again linking in with stress and, you know, again, is an area that, that a little bit of help can help people work through and recover from. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. I can see exactly why that would be the case. Um, and I think imposter syndrome is something that's relatively new, but seems to be growing all the time. Yeah. And when you have conversation, I'm, I'm a consultant and a business coach. And once you get to know, you start off very formal with what's your business plan like and what's your marketing plan like. And then, of course, they get to know you a little bit and they say, um, could I just run this by you? Because it's trust, isn't it? Yeah. And you must know this, obviously, because yeah. you, know, you must build trust all the time, especially in the personal areas that you're operating in. And before you know it, you you are on the edge of counselling, which you don't want to be and you try and avoid because it's not my expertise. I'm certainly not the right person to be doing that. But it, it kind of unleashes insecurities. And what you realise is so many people in business, particularly those that the more senior you get, the more this is the case, where they're really struggling with the expectation, even the expectation of themselves on themselves, you know, not necessarily, they might perceive it being the business's ex, ex, um, expectation, but quite often, you know, you'll, somebody will say to you, oh, I'm working all hours, God sends. And I'll say, well, is that because you've been told you need to do that? And they stop and think. And quite often, it's not that anybody's actually told them to do that. It's just that they have this work ethic and or the fear of being found out, etc., um, but of course, most businesses that I've certainly come across, they will, in, in a lot of cases, they will let you work any hours that you want to. Very few will stop you saying, oh, no, you're working far too much, too many hours. Um, usually they'll let you work yourself to the ground. There's a couple of, there's a couple of statistics about this, and that is that uh, one in 14, one in 14 staff last year didn't take their full holiday allocation an average of seven hours a week was worked in unpaid overtime. So, and that's from employees, so that we're not even looking there at the sole trader or the self-employed person or the manager. We're looking at the actual staff. And, and you know, checking out the reasons for this, why, why we may think, oh, aren't they dedicated and enthusiastic, how wonderful it is. But if they're working in it, seven hours a week is, is an, effectively an extra day. They're working an extra day a week. What's happening to their partnerships, their relationships, their family, their kids? Or if they haven't got any of those things, what's happening to their own personal social life or their me time? What else could they be doing? Could they be going out for a walk in the countryside? They, could they be nurturing their relationships, their home life? Could they be keeping the home a bit tidier? You know, or just even just going and sitting in the shopping mall and having a coffee. 
and, and a half an hour over a toasted tea cake and a book or something. You know, doing those things, they're the areas that we can actually start to think are trivial, that don't matter, because we're focused so much on work and keeping that whole thing going. And I understand in the early days of a, a business or a promotion, you put an extra time in because you really want to learn your skill and justify it and be there for your customers, your clients. But there comes a point where no can go from being the most negative word you think in your vocabulary. No can start becoming the most positive word in your vocabulary because you're actually saying, actually, I can't do that right now in brackets because I'm important because I've allowed this time to spend with my kids or catching it with friends or having a game of golf or something. Those things are equally important, even though we might not think it at the time. And, and do you think you do you think you actually create the expectation? I know back in, even when I look back into my corporate career, there were times where uh, not just myself, but maybe other people would be walking out the office at half past five, the one night a month, and then you got the comment, where are you off to part-timer? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is that, is that absolutely. true? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And And... Being guilt-tripped is a great way of keeping people in line. You know, yeah. it's a great way of keeping people in line. You know, uh, yeah, absolutely, part-time. Or you're having a lunch break, are you? Good for That's you. That's another you good know? one. Yeah. Excellent. Time, yeah. for, time for walking away now. Or coming in, hello, good afternoon, when somebody arrives at 9 o'clock or something in the morning. Yeah. So, yeah, there is that whole thing of, of being able to uh, have the shoulders. I mean, Eleanor Roosevelt said, we teach people how to treat us. And the whole thing about teaching other people that we will take anything, we will do anything, we're 100% available 100% of the time. Sometimes we don't have to turn around and swear or be rude or offensive. We can just say, I can't do that right now. I can do it later. I can do it on Wednesday morning or Thursday afternoon. How does that sit with you? And sometimes just being firm, no need to apologize, no need to explain, but just being firm about it re-establishes our boundaries of what's acceptable treatment, of what we think is fair and right. And then we educate other people into treating us in a much more respectful way. That's fascinating. I think if you were to walk into two companies, two separate companies, company A, company B, company A, uh, people are engaged, they're motivated, they're up for it, if you like. They like to do well for themselves and they like to see the company do well. Company B, they're demotivated. They don't stand, they don't volunteer for anything. They do as little as possible to get through the day and keep the job. What tends to be the biggest difference between the two? I'm thinking in terms of maybe, for example, the leadership in those companies, for example. I think recognition makes a big difference. I think if people feel that they're doing a valuable job and somebody's noticed them, that can make a huge difference. So, for example, supposing I was to say to you, that's a great job, Phil. I loved it. Thank you. Or I were to say to you, that's a great job, Phil. I hope you're able to do that again next time. It would be nice to see that happen more regularly. Which of those two types of praise is more beneficial for you motivates you more well somebody just saying well done thank you that was fantastic i really appreciate your efforts that's called unconditional praise 
So when we give conditions where we say, that's good, you know, you look nice, get, you know, why don't you do that all the time or something? There's conditions attached. It's almost like a giving with one hand, taking with the other. And I think where you have a, a company, a business where staff feel recognized, they feel appreciated, they're being sufficiently challenged as well. Somebody's paying attention to what they're doing and is saying, right, let's just give you a little bit more responsibility uh, and they're trained they're recognized they're challenged a little bit they go home every day feeling that they've done a good day's work that can make all the difference and I think things like recognition it, it does matter so even if it's just something as simple as of an employee of the month and their picture and reception <laughs> and that's all that that is that can make a huge difference yeah. we're not talking about paying for dinner for two at the ivy or something we're saying that'd be nice though, that would it? be nice <laughs> of course it would but you know just a picture in reception or a bottle of wine once a month or something where they actually feel valued and validated and their picture on the notice board or in the staff magazine communicated with their views taken on board all those sorts of things can make a big difference to motivating your staff and getting the best out of them and then do you think that that starts at the top? So if the top, let's say the CEO, treats the board like X, Y, Z, expletive, um, is it then, you know, never thanks them and it's just that you're lucky to be here? At its extreme, you're lucky to be here, you're on a good salary, kind of almost, you know, this company owns you as a result. I've, I've been in those situations before. Um, is it, does it tend to go down right the way down then so the, the senior management don't necessarily thank their middle management the middle management then don't because it's not the way we do things do you think it sweeps through a company in a cultural sense i think there is a company culture def definitely in every business and i think if the if the management have this open door policy and everybody you know s some companies that the ceo that the management managing director will walk around and he'll know everybody's names and i know one really big business where nobody gets employed in that country without the in that company without the top guy actually interviewing and ch having a chat with them and getting to know them so everybody has a christian name and they have a fantastic philosophy about staff welfare and they have games rooms and whole floor dedicated to staff well-being and crashes and all sorts of things on site those people never leave because it's just so good to work there and yes they're paid well but at the same time if you have a a top guy who's hitting his next line down around the head and banging on about targets and productivity and statistics and sick leave and all the rest of it, that's going to filter through because they pass it on. So I think if you have a, a, a culture of training and welfare and well-being, it might look like an overhead at one point in time when you're perhaps setting all of that up, but it pays back in other ways because your sickness stats, your absenteeism, your accidents, your you know, short term, you know, people leaving dead on time, all that kind of thing, all that will suffer. And so it's far better to invest and have good energy and enthusiastic staff and a smile on the face. You know, there was, I think it was a Japanese company that uh, operated a call center and they put mirrors on everybody's phone. And, you know, so that when they were actually answering the phone and doing these call center things that they were looking at their own picture in the in the mirror and they smiled it relaxed their face and and i'm using that example because when people smile and are happy everybody knows your tone changes 85 percent of communication is done non-verbally so if you're stressed and tense and on edge 
it, you can tell just by how somebody's talking. Whereas if you relax, you know, smiling, you can tell I'm smiling, even though you're only listening to me. You're not actually looking at my face. And, it, and that just permeates right the way through an organisation. Yeah, I think that's, that's bang on. Absolutely bang on. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to turn now to the area of sleep. Um, not suggesting that we have a kip now because I've not got I'm any so- pillows. <gasps> you're, you're. <laughs> not got any, got any pillows knocking around or anything else. But um, it's, it's something that interests me because um, I've known people who've, who've suffered from not being able to sleep particularly well. I'm very, very fortunate because I sleep very well most of the time. So if I don't sleep, then I really am grumpy because I'm just used to getting a decent amount of sleep. And I'm just lucky that way at the end of the day. It's probably the way I'm, I'm wired or DNA or something, a mixture of the two. Um, now, in context, we're talking, obviously, talked, we've touched on today about employee experience and engagement of people and so on and so forth. It's not rocket science that if you're not getting a decent amount of sleep, you're not going to be your you're not going to be optimum performance and it's going to be difficult to be engaged and happy and fun and, you know, high energy wanting to contribute. So um, just, I know you could talk about this on a very wide and deep scale, but just give me some thoughts about uh, the importance of sleep and um, if there's any general statistics around about, uh, you know, what people, how much people sleep, how much people sleep, Sleep do people need? That sometimes comes up, doesn't it? Is it six hours, nine hours, to, and so on and so forth? So just talk to me a little bit about your views on, on sleep. Well, sleep and dreaming is a time when our bodies heal and process the day's events. So when I go to bed tonight, if I have had an eventful day, my dreams, they reckon we dream between six and nine dreams every single night, and we, we actually preview them in the first five to ten minutes of falling asleep in what's called the hypnagogic state so we actually preview our dreams so people who are really good at this kind of thing can actually set up and decide i've got a problem i want to work on it tonight you can actually harness your dreams if you're competent and skilled to do it and actually process things through but having said that how many of us anyway will have used that phrase or heard that phrase sleep on it don't make a hasty decision today Mm. Think about it overnight, have a, have a sleep on it, see how you feel in the morning. So that in itself indicates how important sleep is because we process what's happened through the day. If we've had a busy day, we may use our sleep overnight to just get into a better place, to work it through, to process it in some way. We might not necessarily know what's actually gone on. But we just know we feel better in the morning. We have a different perspective. We've rested a little bit. Now, the problem is 90% of adults say they don't get enough sleep. Now, whether that, my argument tends to be, because I do a lot of broadcasting on sleep, my, my argument tends to be it's not just the amount of sleep we've had, it's the quality of sleep. So my view is always, if you can only get five, six hours sleep a night, that might be enough for many people. Um, the average tends to be between six and eight, which is like the optimum amount of sleep in an evening. Um, if we are setting our sleep as good quality sleep tonight, then that can be enough. And and little things like making sure you wind down for a couple of hours before you go to bed, that can make all the difference. Uh, turning off your tech so that you actually treat sleep as important. That's the thing a lot of people will work right the way through to bedtime crash into bed, go, sleep now, I'm here, I'm here, quick, quick, sleep. 
and then wonder why in the morning they've, they've been tossing and turning all night and they don't feel particularly rested and they're still a little bit irritable and they perhaps wake up in the night and it's still on their mind. You have to treat sleep as important and regard it as an important part of your commitment, your responsibility, your own responsibility to your own health and well-being. And that's the key to it. We have to take responsibility for saying, okay, I know I've got the kids' lunches to prepare. Oh, they need a shirt ironing. Oh, where's a kit bag? Oh, my goodness me, they need kit for dressing up as Father Christmas or so whatever it might be tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. It's World Book Day or something. Or I need to do this report. But at the same time, sometimes we have to say, enough already. I have to stop now and, and just give myself a break, a breather. Because apart from anything else, we can get habituated to living in a high adrenaline state so that we're always firing on all cylinders. We're all, right, just before I go to bed, I'll just check my email once more and I just need to do that and I'll just make a few notes about this and I'll keep my pad by my bed just in case I wake up in the night. Sometimes we just have to say, right, I'm going to dedicate my bedroom as an oasis. It's a no-go zone. For, there's only two things really supposed to happen in your bedroom and one of them is sleep. And you keep your office out there. If you have to have an office in there, wall it off, put a screen around it. Make sure you, you know, TVs aren't meant to be in bedrooms as far as I'm concerned. No tech, nothing. Just keep your bedroom as an oasis, a, a nice place where there's pretty fabrics and flowers and cushions and whatever there might be that makes it feel good when you go in there. You know, uh, watch about the booze you're drinking. How much drinking are you doing or, or anything else that is a stimulant to keep you going? Think about that. Watch how late you're eating in the evenings. There's all sorts of ways to just be winding down, treating sleep as important, having a regular routine. And that way you help yourself rest, even if you're not necessarily going to sleep. But it is about re-educating your body to switch off and have some me time and then drift off into a comfortable night's sleep so that you get quality sleep, even if it's not a long time. I think that that's that's really interesting. And um I think um, stopping the smartphone from being by the bed is probably something that everybody's now thinking, I don't think I could do that. Mm -hmm. And how much of that is almost like part of an addiction? It can be part of an addiction. It's the anxiety thing about always being contactable. I mean, linking in with that is how at one time you could get on a train and just sit there gazing out the window in a semi-blank state. And nowadays you get on a train, it's nothing like that. Everybody's contactable, they're on the phones, they're doing reports. They're, if they're not doing that, they're playing blooming games of some description mm. or watching a film. So we're always trying to cram every minute with something that is useful and meaningful. And sometimes just doing nothing. You know, this is the thing with kids. I always say boredom is an important part of a child's education. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to be constantly, oh, it's, it's half term, what do I do with the kids? You know, right, that we'll go to the zoo and then we'll go to the park and then we'll do this and then we'll do that. Let them be bored. Let them sit through and stare through the window. Imagination is important. I, I, as an aside, I remember taking my sister's kids to the pantomime one year, spent an absolute blooming fortune. 
And they were so, all the kids in the in the theatre were bored and they were running around and all the rest of it because we're so used to uh, special effects and pausing and running off and getting a drink and all that kind of it's thing. It's constant stimulation, yeah. isn't it, in effect? And yeah. sometimes just allowing them just to sit there and watch a show on a on a stage with people with, you know, costumes made out of curtains and things is is, is perfectly important to do that or find ways to entertain and amuse themselves. And so we don't always need to be stimulated. There are other ways, too, that are a big part of what's missing often in terms of bringing it back to sleep is, is the thing about exercise. If you've got somebody who has a very mentally active job, mentally demanding job, they may not be exerted physically at the end of the day. And conversely, if you've got somebody who's got a heavy job, a construction job perhaps, they're not exerted mentally at the end of the day. We need to try and level that up a bit at the end of each day so that we are tired equally mentally and physically as much as we can be. So if you're home in the evening after a very tiring mental day, I know I've been to the gym sometimes when I'm exhausted mentally and I'm so glad I've gone afterwards, maybe not at the time, but afterwards I think, oh God, that was a really useful thing to do. I feel so much better. I'm glad I went. Most of us will know that if we exercise physically, we are getting some sort of level playing field in terms of our tiredness. And that's important to do too. You can put the meal on, cook in, go for a bit of a walk with your partner, have a chat and a catch up, come home and your dinner's ready and you can have a sit down and a chat. Make time for each other at the dining table. Talk to the kids, get to know what's going on in their lives, keep up to speed with all of that kind of thing. And that's bringing some element of roundedness to every area of your life, which in turn impacts on your ability to relax at the end of the day and sleep properly. I think I did actually read somewhere that something like is it sixty percent of homes now don't even have a dining table yeah, at know. all. Um, so it's obviously. Um, I mean, when I was a young, when I was a kid, you know, you'd sit around the table with mum and dad, and I remember having quite some big arguments with mum in particular, who didn't like me sitting on the um, on the sofa with a tray on my knee and she was quite insistent that if you're going to eat you're going to eat it at the table with us well it's important isn't it because you know again if you've got kids who are taking the cooking several different meals every evening Mm. for everybody's different tastes things and then going upstairs and eating in your room how do you know if your child has got eating issues or if they're being bullied or if they're feeling isolated or they're getting depressed and low So the whole thing about connecting, you know, even if it's just once a week on a Sunday lunch or something, but keeping that point of contact open, because even if it is arguing, even if they are grumpy and miserable about being there, you actually keep in touch with your family. Again, a lot of people who were working long hours or, you know, there's a lot of us who work work away from weekend, away from home in the week and sometimes only touch base perhaps at weekends. But we do need to keep in touch with those relationships. And again, the whole thing about well-being, mental well-being, physical well-being, good relationships at home, investing in those relationships, treating those as important, knowing what's going on in each other's lives, whether it's your partner or your kids or whoever it might be. It's all an important part and all impacts on employee engagement, which is all about them being happy, balanced staff and feeling good about all the different areas of their lives. Yeah, and then willing to contribute on a wider scale. Yeah. In fact, if anything, I think a lot of the time companies fail to recognise that or support that. You know, it's almost like that's the job you do. That's what I need you to get on with it. How, you know, 
I'm going to exaggerate it, but how very dare you come out of that um, to do something else within the company because we need you to do that job in that silo. And and the thing is, like, I get it. You know, you're being paid. Shut up and get on with it. I can I can understand that. And so, you know, and that was very much old school. If you're being paid, shut up. You're you're paid to be here. Get on, do your job. That's what you. It's all about. But increasingly, we're realizing that if you've got seven hours a week of unpaid overtime being worked, one in fourteen people not taking the holiday entitlement, which I referenced before, mm. then you do have people who are prepared for whatever reason to make that commitment because they don't want to go home in the evenings or because they're scared of going home in the evening and what what might be happening when they're not there. And, you know, what kind of flavour do we want our business to be emanating? What kind of energy do we want in our business? Do we want people there who are feeling terrorised or perhaps intimidated or maybe bullied or we want people who are there who what they are giving, they're giving willingly, they're enthusiastic about, but also there is reciprocation. And so it's parents' evening tonight or I need to take my mum for a, a hospital appointment and it's only, you know, it's only open in the day or, yeah. or I need to go yeah. to the bank or yeah. something. I've got something I need to sort out. And, and y- your employer says, that's okay. You know, that's fine. You, you take that hour or two or whatever. It's okay because we know you pay it back millionfold in dedication and commitment and, and you'll find people will do. I, I remember... A while back reading that people who work from home often do more than people who actually work in an office because in an office you can get away with wandering around with a file under your arm looking busy oh totally true but if you're at home and you're given a specific piece of work to do you need to start it do it finish it and give it back and often people are very aware of i need to deliver this i've not done it yet and so there can be some argument for being a little bit more flexible with that I would totally agree with that. I think it's about really the um, if the, the objective has to be clear. So this piece of work needs to be done by this time and then they can focus and there's not the same distractions. Where it sometimes comes apart is if the objective isn't clear because if the objective isn't clear with a clear time scale attached to it, that's when it's dangerous because that's when it's well. I'll just do the bit of just do a bit of washing while I'm here, or I'll just go for a, a, a walk that turns out to be a, an hour and a half or two hour walk, or I'll just watch that. I'll just have a catch up on Game of Thrones because I missed it. Yeah. But I think if the objective is clear and it's measured, not in a in a in a um, overly aggressive way, then I think most people would say they get a lot more done. I think the home. the problem is. If you end up being the dumping ground for everything, you know, I I remember one of my clients was a woman in a man's world. She was, you know, high up in construction type job and and she really felt it important for her to demonstrate that she was more than competent, more than capable, more than willing and enthusiastic. And she came to see me very stressed out, regularly travelled away from home. Um, and, you know, often at weekends she'd be driving back from down south at nine o'clock at night and she lived fairly in the Midlands up north. And so she'd be driving home on at nine o'clock on a Friday night, not hit Birmingham yet, you know. And I remember one week she came to see me and she'd, she'd often spend all weekend catching up on work. And she came to see me one um one day and she said you'd have been really proud of me she said just outside of London my boss phoned me up and said would you mind doing this particular report it's really really urgent it's nine o'clock at night now really really urgent do you think any chance of me getting this report 
Jodie had been proud of me because I, I didn't say to him, get lost, go away. But what she did say was, I'm really happy to do it. However, I've also got this, this, this and this to do. What order would you like me to do them in? Yeah. And he, he yeah. said, Fab, yeah. fine. I hadn't, wow, I hadn't even realised you'd got all that on. That's okay. It, this was merely a fishing trip. I wanted to see if you had any space in your schedule. That's okay. I'll move on and ask somebody else. She didn't get hit over the head with a baseball bat. She didn't get sacked or demoted. It, it's sometimes that we have to learn to be a little bit more communicative, a little bit more appropriately assertive and say what we're doing. Because if we get known as the person who'll take anything and everything, sometimes we can end up with 50 of those jobs when we're working from home and just be constantly processing and wondering where to start. And sometimes we can almost become immobile because we've got so much to do and so many demands on us and we're not sure everybody's work is a top priority. How do we get that balance, how do we yeah. find out what order <clears throat> yeah. to do them in? There is something, isn't there, that's known as please others, a please others driver, which I don't know if you've come across that. And I know a few people who've got please others drivers, and um, they're the people that get put on, put on, I think, quite often because they're always wanting to please others. So everything that they do, and, it, and, they've ne- and they never get to the point where they've pleased enough people unless they can overcome the please others driver. And I think what's very helpful in, in a very basic, on a very, very, at a very basic level, is even being aware of the concept of the please others driver, that somebody can say, oh, crikey, that's me. I've got the please, I know, I recognise it in myself. Sometimes that can be the thing recognising it that stops you or at least helps you to stop doing it. Self-awareness is hugely important. And mm. I, I was talking a, a little while ago about appropriate no's and, and saying no. No can be, we think it's a negative word, but no can be the most positive word in your vocabulary. Because when you use it correctly, when you use it properly, you can actually say no without actually using those two letters and just be saying, yes, I'm prepared to do this, but I uh, not right. I can't do it right now. Or uh, yes, but it will be on a Wednesday or Thursday next week or something. And so sometimes finding ways to organize ourselves, because the truth is, it may be great to be trying to please everybody. But if you've taken too much on, you're not pleasing anybody at all. You're not certainly not pleasing yourself. And you might be doing a scanty job of all the other bits of work, dipping in and out and not really sure where you're up to and, uh, and and then you start something and somebody else gets in touch and says, can you do this? And you stop that and you don't know where you are and all that kind of thing. So sometimes this is where lists can sometimes come into their own, having a list of what you need to do and, and putting numbers, prioritizing next to them all. Then you can see what order you're doing things in. And I guarantee that not every single job will necessarily be needed to start and finish today. There might be bits of it that you can start now that then you have to pass on to somebody else for their input or their work or whatever. So getting something started, passing it on so something can be done about it, then whilst it's away and you've made ample notes about where you're up to, you can then start something else. And it's called being organised. It's called managing your time better. It's giving yourself a little bit more control because being a people pleaser is often about losing control we're just running around dancing around everybody else getting not very much done probably wasting a huge percentage of your time frittering and flapping about doing not very much useful 
And then at the end of the day, feeling completely dissatisfied and frustrated with yourself and frustrated with the people who've asked you because you expected them to know. And actually, how can they? They're not psychic. So it's bringing all that control back to you again. Fabulous. Um, do you know what? I think we're coming up to an hour, believe it or not. How quickly did that go by? So I'm going to close it off there on this one. Um, Tell me or tell the people listening to this how they can get hold of you. How can they talk to you? I think you've got some books as well that you, you've written. Tell them about you and how they can get hold of you, Susan. Hey, well, it's been fabulous. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> I didn't realise an hour. Doesn't it fly? <laughs> so I'm Susan Lee, counsellor, hypnotherapist. I'm based in South Manchester. I have a website, lifestyletherapy.net. I am on all the social medias. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I do have, uh, I've written three books. My fourth is actually, I started it last weekend. But my three books at the minute are Dealing with Stress, Managing Its Impact, Dealing with Death and Ending. So that's loss of health, loss of relationships, or, you know, as well as actual bereavement. So dealing with death, coping with the pain. And my third one is a little motivational book, 101 Days of Inspiration, hashtag tip of the day, which started on Twitter, believe it or not. So all those are out there. Susan Lee, lifestyletherapy.net. Live life well. Thank you. Wonderful. And thanks very much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it because I know you're in great demand from the BBC and ITV, Sky TV. And here you are with me here in Manchester. I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, thanks very much, Susan. I'm sure we'll be speaking again at, in a future episode because you've got. I know you've got a lot more to come. Thank, Thank you. you. My pleasure.